You're listening to The Magnet Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Magnet Theater Podcast. I'm your host, Louis Kornfeld, and my guest today is the delightful Christina Dabney. Hello. Thanks for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is so exciting. I'm excited, too. <laughs> we, we were, just to pick up the conversation we were having right before the podcast began, we were talking about like spilling dirty secrets yeah. and honesty and guardedness and everything in between. I, I find uh, um, over the years, one of my, one of my, things as an improv teacher Mm -hmm. has been that I'm way more of an open book in an improv class. Mm -hmm. Like pretty much there's nothing in my life that isn't fair game to discuss. If I think it will help other people feel more comfortable being Mm -hmm. open and honest and, and unashamed to play. Yeah. Um, so like my relationship with Megan, everybody who's ever done my class is like being kept up to date on everything that's going on (laughs) with us at my personal feelings regarding like pretty much any topic, but then outside of an improv class, I've become very tight. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, first of all, I, I have had improv teachers who are like that. Um, and I actually really appreciate it. There have been times when, um, like I was in a class with Rick once and he, and he was sharing something personal about himself that just, that had to do with like the exercise we were doing. And it was really helpful. And I, just thought, wow, he didn't have to do that, but how great for him to be vulnerable enough to like help his students out like that. And I, and I do appreciate that. I, I think I find myself doing that in everyday conversations just to make people feel like more comfortable around me. Mm-hmm. If I feel like people like aren't comfortable or they're, uh, they might be feeling judged by, by me or by, uh, like the situation that we're in. Like if we're at a party and people are feeling awkward, I'll try to like <laughs> throw something out about myself that is like, Oh, Hey, I was homeschooled and I didn't know what sex was until I was 16 years old. Blah. Um, uh, just to kind of make someone feel a little more relaxed about being around other people and being awkward. Like I am. How does that work for you? <laughs> Um, I would say it's like half and half. It, it works. And, and sometimes I just end up making, going home and being like, why do I feel like such an awkward person? Oh, it's because I was presenting myself as awkward just to help someone else out. So I've, I've been doing better, um, as I get older, um, not doing that and, and being a little more guarded. I appreciate it when people are, you sometimes it, it if people let their weird hang out around me, it makes me feel very taken care of and, mm-hmm. and, and makes me feel very like I have permission to, mm-hmm. to just be myself around them. And then there are other times where I feel like it, it I'm sort of being like challenged to, mm-hmm. to be more interesting. Yeah. And then I, I like close down because mm-hmm. all I have to do is start thinking about like what's interesting about me and nothing shuts me up quicker <laughs> and I just realize I'm the most boring average person to walk the planet yeah yeah I do that when I think people are also like bidding around me when there's like I'm at like a bar and people are like doing bits and and I I think that they're really funny and then I really feel kind of on the spot to like be funny too and I think that shuts me down in the same kind of way like I don't like to be put on the spot um to be interesting or to be funny and um and that's one of the reasons why I've stayed uh, doing improv so long is because when I figured out that that's not what you have to do at all, um, if you're just honest in yourself and you, you're, you're listening and you're having a conversation, that can be so delightful. And I think that that realization um, gave me permission on stage and off stage to be really comfortable all the time and to um, not feel like I need to say something interesting or something funny yeah. ever and I can just kind of be I hate bits <laughs> I don't I don't like doing them and like they, they put that like horrible pressure on you know I was talking with Ed Herbstman about it years ago and, mm-hmm. and because he if you've ever been like cornered by Ed at a party it's just like a stream of bits coming at you <laughs> it's like a master of it yeah. and, and it's a sign of respect from him Mm-hmm. Like if he's, if he's playing with you, mm-hmm. uh, it, 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 he's engaging you. He likes you, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just becomes part of this like comedian's vocabulary. Yeah. So like, I wonder sometimes if my reluctance to do bits like 
doesn't kind of alienate me from like the bigger improv comedy world in general because it, they, they make me uncomfortable. Yeah. I feel super, super on the spot. I feel super, super like anything I'm going to contribute. I, I, you know what? I feel like I'm stoned. When, oh, yeah. You know the way you feel when uh-huh. you're stoned and, uh-huh. and people are talking to you and, and you volunteer information uh-huh. and then you're like, did that even make sense? Exactly. And you're like, oh my God what just came out of my mouth is making me lose friends. Like every, everything I say from now on, I'm going to lose another friend because they're going to think what I'm saying is so ridiculous and doesn't make any sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's another, that's a reason why I don't like to smoke weed either. Yeah. It, it, for some people it's great. And for some people yeah. it's not so great. Yeah. I have a chronic fear uh, that somehow like today's the day that I'm just like not going to understand context anymore. Mm. Mm-hmm. And and I'm gonna have like completely wrong reads of situations and other people and and any of my responses are just gonna make me stand out as a complete freak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I I'm typically pretty good um, in most social situations, but um, when I'm going to like a party or a place where I don't know anyone, I kind of have that feeling like, oh, is this gonna be the group of people that? Um, find like realizes that I I actually am the most awkward person in the world and I do have a very hard time holding a conversation like are these going to be the people that um like realize that I have nothing good to say in this situation and is this going to be the day um but it never ends up being that way it always humans are great and they're lovely and and they're not as terrible as you think they might be mostly that's true mostly yeah yeah I, I, um, uh, Rick Andrews has been on my ass forever to read David Foster Wallace. So I, I started, uh, with, um, a supposedly fun thing I'll never do again. Okay. It's a collection of essays and cool. I'm reading one on television right now. Uh-huh. And, um, and he, he talks about, it was written in 1990. So some of it is like a little bit out of date in like our modern landscape, but mm-hmm. the core of it is really sound. And the thing about television in his argument is that you get stimulation and you get to be relaxed at the exact same time. Mm-hmm. You get to feel like you're participating in human dialogue, mm-hmm. but you're never challenged to have to undergo the anxiety that comes with having to actually be tested by other people. Yeah. And that it becomes this sort of addictive loop, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and so, like, that got me thinking because I feel lots and lots of anxiety. I, I almost never go to parties. I almost never hang out except for like my very small like band of people and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it got me thinking of like, oh, everything that I'm avoiding in that, all of that like nervous, today's the day people are going to find out I'm an idiot or, 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 or I'm not going to know how to respond to anything. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's actually the thing, isn't it? <laughs> right? Like the, yeah. that's the natural state. Like yeah. that's the fun of engaging with other human beings is oh, yeah. actually enduring that, that challenge to like, I have to rise to the occasion of of of, of engaging with you by having shit to talk about and, yeah. and having a point of view on things and having opinions and I don't know. Yeah. Uh, that anxiety is something that we're like, meant to we're supposed it's a test of your character right like your character grows in the way that you grapple with it exactly and i think um i think we all everybody at that party that you're avoiding is was also thinking about avoiding that party because they had uh, some kind of leveling of anxiety and i think um i think people's kind of unique uh perspective on their anxiety or or really like how their anxiety comes out through their own personality is different for every single person. And I think uh, that's that's what is really easy to connect with. Like when you when you are at a party or a social situation and you're um, you're engaging with someone and you at first like you're a little nervous because like you don't really know them, but then something clicks and you both see something in uh, yourselves where like you both realize that you're both kind of in this together. Mm-hmm. Like you're in this like anxiety filled conversation because you don't know each other kind of together, but in a very different way because, you know, we all have different backgrounds and we have um, different reasons for any anxiety or neuroses that we have. Um, You can kind of bond with each other because you both have that anxiety, but then learn something new about a new person. Like, like what is it about them that, that makes them who they are? So like you feel connected, but then also um, intrigued. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's, that can be really fun. 
Um, that's why I like people and I like to talk to people even when I'm terrified. <laughs> it's, it's to relate it back to improv. It to me is what's kind of ultimately the beautiful thing about scene work. Yes. Is that, that m- moment of intrigue where you go from trying to kind of get a scene going together uh-huh. to then being in a place where it really is this encounter between these characters where suddenly it, it, you don't worry about playing a scene appropriately anymore. You actually become curious about these people yeah. that you're playing and you become fascinated. Like the, yeah. the moment that something special happens or the moment that mm-hmm. there's some kind of like epiphany. I, I'm really interested in epiphanies. Yeah. And that can happen uh, in a scene that can happen anytime in any situation. Like we've all seen 800, um, restaurant scenes where you're on a date or, you know, a, a million scenes where you're in a kitchen and your mother, son, or, or, you know, it's a courtroom. You've, we've seen all of these, um, we've seen all these scenes, but then the second that it starts to get intriguing and really like engaging is when, um, the specifics of the characters and like the specifics of how they feel about each other and, and maybe like some kind of anxiety comes out that makes that specific character unique to that specific scene that you will never see again and mm. you've never seen it before and you'll never see it again. And um, once you find that in your scene, it just like every, everything is good. Every, like you just go with it. Like you have, you have the scene and, and all of the stuff on the outside, like, um, like where you are and like what your relationship is, isn't necessarily the thing anymore. Instead it's that like how you're like relating to each other and, um, in your own unique kind of weird way. Yeah. Your weirdness is what's so cool. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's, it's that surprise that comes when you, your perceptions of the world and my perceptions of the world kind of meet and we find that we like plug Mm -hmm. in together in this place that is kind of surprising to Mm -hmm both of us and and yeah. and then that's usually the moment where you're like having the character's thoughts or feelings you just kind yeah. of like something triggers in your you know like mm-hmm. it's a great discovery some people have said to me that that's enhanced the way that they are off stage and they start to treat their own real life the way that they treat their scenes i find mm-hmm. i don't think i do that do you um i think i do i yeah yeah i think i do uh, because there's always there's always this like formality when you meet someone or even like just like anybody in your daily life that you're in contact with whether it's like a parent or a brother and sister like I mean I can kind of if you think about it this way like your relationship with your parents when you're a kid and a teenager is just the when that starts to change when you're an adult when you're in your like 20s and 30s and 40s and you start to become like their peers instead of like this like parent-child relationship and like something like for instance like my parents are great and they're wonderful but we've started to reach this point where we can like talk about like adult things together because like we're adults and like I'm no longer a kid and like I'll see sides of their personality and I'll see see walls come down and like we'll make these connections um these like really normal human connections that just like weren't there in this relationship that I've had before because Mm -hmm. like those walls were kind of up you're kind of guarded when you're talking to your kids or you're guarded when you're talking to your parents and then when that shift in your relationship changes and like some of these boundaries come down and you like see more layers to this person that you've known for 29 years um like a whole new relationship comes up and like a whole new a whole new side to these people that you've known for so long. That's interesting. Uh, uh, the way that a relationship that you already know can become a new relationship. Mm-hmm. That's a very interesting idea. Yeah. Is it true that you didn't know what sex was until you were 16? <laughs> I can't believe I said that. Yeah. I can't. So Evan should have stopped this immediately when he heard that, but know, he did. I, I and he's not Evan. doing his job very well. Oh God. Um, no, that is, that is true. That is absolutely true. I was, um, I was homeschooled and I, didn't have a lot of sex education and every, I had a great education and I love the fact that I was homeschooled and I have so many good things to say about it, but that's the one thing that I think was lacking a little bit. Uh, and yeah, I didn't, I didn't know exactly what it was. And then when I was 16, I found out and yeah. that's was a pivotal point in my life, I guess. Uh, I have a few questions around this topic. <laughs> 
God. Uh, um, one is, you know, at, without meaning to sound judgmental, mm-hmm. um, 16's pretty late in the game to, yeah. to protect somebody from, from that information. Mm-hmm. So what is it like going from having, having a very protected relationship with your parents to now relating to them as peers and, 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 and being able to engage in more adult things. Like it, did that take a lot of adjusting? To? No, it, it, and it's, it's great. It's glorious. I, it's the, it's the coolest thing in the world because, um, yeah, it was, we were kind of like more of like a, a religious kind of family and it, um, and not like over the top, but like kind of normal, like 90s suburban um, American religious family. So it did feel a little bit like my parents weren't okay with like talking about certain things and like they, they just like were kind of rigid. So then all of a sudden when I'm now that I'm in like my late 20s and like I'll, I'll see them and like, well, you know, it, like we'll be watching a movie that has like some kind of like sexual reference to it. And like my parents like kind of, kind of laugh with me now instead mm. of like kind of shutting down and pretending like it's not happening or, you know, they'll be like, um, how is this person that you're dating or that person? Like, and, and like I can talk to my mom about like birth control and things like that. And it's, and it can be funny and light. And I didn't realize that once now that like I'm, I'm an adult, um, they have like funny, interesting things to say about sex and alcohol and, and their lives back in like the sixties and seventies. And it's fun. And I feel like, you know, they're still very much my parents, but now we have this like fun relationship where we can talk about today's dating world as opposed to the dating world in the 1970s, 1970s, 1960s. And it's interesting. Did they change over time or, or they just kind of accepted you as a grown up? I think a little, yeah, I think a little bit of both. I think, well, I think we all kind of change, right? Like, it's been, you know, 29 years since I was born, and they probably were, yeah, very different people um, when I was a kid and teenager, and I was a very different person. Like, we were all, like, different people in, like, the 90s and early 2000s, and yeah, and I, I'm actually, I think that they're the coolest people because they have, I think that that's a really good sign of character when, like, you can really grow as a person as your your perceptions are changing and as the world's changing, and I think that they definitely have done that. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Mom and Dad, you're the, the coolest. Are you, are you close? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, we're very close. My mom uh, drove eight hours uh, on Thanksgiving uh, in heavy traffic because it was my birthday, and like no, I was alone. <laughs> like there was nobody around me, and she wanted to bring me a cake, so she drove eight hours to bring me a cake. I'm gonna cry about that. I know, and you, and you know what? It was also vegan. Like she, she made it vegan. Yeah, I assume she's not vegan herself. She's not. Yeah, she grew up in the South. Like, yeah, there's no such thing as a cake without butter. Um, doesn't it just kill you sometimes when people are like genuinely, sincerely kind? Like it, yeah. it, as much of a cliche as it is, it, it there's nothing beyond just genuine decency. Yeah, yeah, and. And genuine decency that doesn't come um, with a lot of advertisement about how great they are for right. being decent. Yeah, you know? it, 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 it can't. Mm-hmm. You know, like there, there are people who kind of do really decent things, sort of despite themselves, or there are people whose like shitty motives or like self-centered motives mm-hmm. still lead them to do decent things, and, and that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But like when you actually, I don't know. The, I think about my parents sometimes, and and. Uh, and uh, so, like, quietly people work really, really hard and quietly mm-hmm. make humongous sacrifices mm-hmm. of themselves and don't call attention to it at all. And you don't, you know, it means nothing to you yeah. until the moment when suddenly it does. Yeah. I mean, that's like, that's just parents, right? Like, like good, decent parents, like... They have they have these little th- these little creatures that are just like have no idea like what they're sacrificing of themselves and like sleepless nights and, and money and work and and they don't actually you know and sometimes like they don't ever realize it but they are not gonna like be super appreciative of it until they're like adults and they realize what it takes to like work so hard and yeah. like sacrifice so much um, for someone who doesn't really say thank you very often but, yeah yeah that that's incredible. Talk to me about some of the virtues of homeschool. I'm really curious. 
Um, okay, goodness. Yeah, it's... So the best thing that you get when you're homeschooled is time hmm. um, and the ability to do what you want with that time and to fill it with a lot of really good things. I think that, that but that's also like where like the danger lies is that you, you kind of have to work hard to be really disciplined um, as a kid and as a parent to like make sure that your kids are, are doing the right things and getting the right things. Um, and I was very fortunate that my parents did do that. They kept us very involved in like, um, like theater stuff and, and sports stuff and like educational stuff. So like we were always very busy. Um, we traveled a lot. My dad used to be a journalist, and he did a lot of stories on the Clyde Beatty Cole Brothers Circus. So we would travel with him, and we made a lot of circus friends. And and um, whenever they were in Virginia, um, in our town, they would come and and <laughs> all of like the the Slovakian acrobats and, and the, the clowns would come and have dinners at our house and the clowns would play croquet in our front lawn um, in between like the matinee and the, the night show. So they'd be, like, be in full costume and like full clown makeup playing croquet on our front lawn. So we had a lot of interesting friends and we had a lot of interesting activities and I, it's made me be really appreciative of the world and um, other people, different ages and cultures and and lifestyles, um, and uh, we were able to spend our time really focusing on like what mattered, like um, like like studying other cultures and meeting new people. And um, I, to this day, I was thinking about this the other day. To this day, I don't remember sitting down with a textbook in front of me. Um, I remember taking tests just to like you know send to the state and be like you know our kids are smart; they don't need to go to school. But I don't remember sitting down with like textbooks and going over school stuff. I, I read a lot and we traveled a lot and I remember going to like a chemistry class, but like at, when it came time to go to college um, and I went to Virginia Tech and it was I, it was great great school. I remember sitting in class being like, how have I how am I here? How do I know everything I need to know? I don't I've never sat in a classroom. I never really had like textbooks. I don't know. Sometimes it just education can be like whatever you make of it and I think my parents kind of realized that and they realized because my dad was dyslexic and he was the smartest person I know but he did not make very good grades and he always believed like people learn differently people are visual learners some people um like like can sit in a classroom and learn from a teacher some people have to like see do it for themselves he realized that we his we had very different styles of learning and he didn't want to like put us in a classroom and have us like learning the same way that other people were learning because we might not learn that way so I think that's another benefit too is that like if you're homeschooling your kid or you're being homeschooled you can kind of figure out how it is that you learn and what's the the best course of action to take and then do it and then take it um but again that requires a lot of discipline I um people you know always ask like what your favorite subject was in school uh-huh. and I'm kind of only now realizing it I was always myself in like the English corner of things I, yeah. I, I was really talented whenever it came to an English class but thinking about it I, I'm actually realizing that it wasn't so much the subject as it was the teacher because oh. hmm. um, like I would always struggle with math but then I can remember one pre-calc teacher who kind of went out of his way to clarify things mm-hmm. and that was like the one uh, 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 like hiccup in my math career yeah and, and it had more to do with just being kind of related to and and yeah. and it, you know actually like passed between teacher and student rather than taught at yeah my experience of school was um, like exactly that of like and I had some very good teachers but it's blanket teaching mm-hmm. and making sure that everybody's kind of at the same line with each yeah. other Oof. and 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 there's kind of a meta lesson that you're being taught by the whole thing which mm-hmm. is how to how to uh endure boredom all day long <laughs> without acting out in a way you know what i mean oh, like it's really terrible. it's pre- kind of preparing you for a life where you're just going to be asked to sit around and do a bunch of shit that you don't want to do oh, and, and take it oh jesus and it, yeah you know like and and for me, like, it, there was actually something good about it because it made me restless, and then mm-hmm. I would do funny things when I got restless. <laughs> so if, like, I look at old notebooks, 
all of the funniest shit in my notebooks are, are these cartoons that are, are just coming out of pure restlessness and, and total like mind-numbing boredom. Yeah. So much so that if I'm looking to do something creative, sometimes I, I'll have to like go someplace that's going to be really boring. <laughs> it's the only way to like trigger it. But but there's kind of like this huge disadvantage that you're at because there's still this this thing in education. I don't mean to say this. Teachers are going to be listening to this, and I do oh, not yeah. mean to be knocking oh, no. teachers. Oh, they no, are no, no. heroes. Yeah. Of course. Um, but this, like, system that's basically raises kids the same way that you raise, like, chickens. Mm. Uh, uh, it's just the most number possible, you know? Yeah. Uh, um, it, like, it teaches you how to be bored with jobs that now don't exist anymore. Mm. It's that weird, like, window generation yeah. uh, uh, that kind of, like, wasn't, I feel like the generation right after my generation were the ones who were starting to be prepared to learn like coding and computers yeah. and shit. Uh, my generation was like the one that like didn't really need to know that stuff. And, yeah. and, and you were being prepared to tolerate boredom at jobs that now are like obsolete jobs. Yeah. It, it's such a backwards thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. There is something, something to that, like learning. And that was another thing that I think my parents weren't really into was kind of learning to be a part of like a system like and taking steps like the same steps and and going in this towards the same direction like you could kind of pick a way to like veer off from it like picking if you're good at math or if you're good at this or that but kind of like just fitting in in with like the way that things just worked and they just kind of had this thing where they were like you know who's to say what works and what doesn't work. And I think, um, we're just going to do our best to try to, uh, prepare our kids to be just the best of whatever they're going to be. Like who knows? Um, and I, I kind of, I actually, I did go to school for one year. I went to a private school my junior year of high school, which I just didn't really jive with. Um, but uh, when I was I went to that school, I always thought that I was like you, like really good at like English and and artsy type things and um and like history and writing and and I was and I really enjoyed it. But I had one like math teacher that was like really she saw in me that like I was actually really good at math and I was kind of behind because I just wasn't paying attention to math when I was um, being homeschooled when I was a kid. And she like got on my level and was like you're good at this. Like you're like the best in this entire geometry class. Like your proofs are crazy good. Um, you can like study like higher levels of math. Let me help you get ready for that. And like that connection, I mean, going back to like how teachers are heroes, like that connection, um, sparked my interest like more than anything else. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, yeah, you kind of, you kind of have to have like that that push like you never know what's going to click in your brain or what's going to click like in in your soul that makes you be like oh I'm going to be good at this and I'm going to do this um I think I never thought that I would ever be good at improv I thought that it was about being funny and being able to to bit with people and like say the funniest thing like automatically but like when I got to the magnet like my first few teachers were like oh you're good at this you um you're like an interesting like listener and like you're really supportive and I was like Oh, that's a, that's a thing in improv that that I can I can be good at this because I'm like listening to what the other person says, and um, that like set off a trigger in me. And I who knew that that maybe if I had taken improv somewhere else, like I wouldn't have gotten that, and I wouldn't be, you know, five years later, I wouldn't still be involved. So much of it is happy accidents. Yeah. So much of life, it's like shocking how much it is just based on happy accidents yeah. and like you know, experiencing the right person at the right moment. Because, yeah. like, I, I've I, I probably talked about this on the podcast before. Like, when I first met Armando, Armando was, like, a life-changing teacher for mm-hmm. me. It, there, there was, like, there definitely, you know, without being too dramatic about it, there was, like, life before meeting Armando yeah. and then life after. It was a totally, you know, <laughs> yeah, it was, I like, an that. initiation. But, like, looking back at my notes from his classes, which are, like, few and far between because he wasn't much of a talker, mm-hmm. um, he didn't say anything that anybody else wasn't saying. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? There wasn't, like, a radical, it wasn't, like, a completely foreign point of view. It was, like, he basically had the same stuff to say as, as like, everybody else had to say. But it was just, like, the way that he said it. 
at that one particular moment for me than it got in there. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. and to other people it didn't. And so there are people who have had Armando's class where it didn't really mean much of anything yeah. to them. And there are people like me where it's like, well, this, this altered the course of my entire, yeah, my entire existence here. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you never, you never know what that's going to be. But I, I had the same experience with Armando. Like, um, one of the first shows I did here was his director series. Um, and Shakotha and I were both like kind of like the newer um, to improv people. Like, he, like there was mostly veterans in that show, and then like we were both still kind of students. And I remember like after each show, um, they were they were good shows, but like were, I could definitely feel like we needed some notes. And after the show, like Armando would come up and be like, um, "Good show, guys. Um, maybe just try this next time." All right. See you guys next week. Yeah. And then he'd leave and me and Chicotha would like look at each other like, what? No. Like, I know I did this wrong and I know I did this wrong. Like, I need notes about this and I need to know in this scene, like what I could have done better. And then we would come back the next week and it, it, that pro- the problems that we had in the first show were gone. Like they just didn't happen. And I mean, there was, there was new things to work on and, but Chicotha and I were like, oh, that was so, that's so interesting. But like, but we need, we need notes. We need notes. And Armando would be like, um, Try this one for the next show. All right, see you guys next week. Yeah. And we'd be like, wait, no. But then the next week, it was like, it was fine again. And it really, yeah, it goes to show that, like, you don't need to, like, overload someone with information or, like, like he has a lot of, like, a lot of these teachers, a lot of these people have a lot to say and they have a lot of wisdom about everything. But the balance of like knowing what to say and when to say it and who you're talking to Mm -hmm. is such an art and it's such a wonderful thing. Yeah. Um, and I've been very blessed to have teachers that are good at that. That's the hallmark of a really outstanding teacher or somebody who like they're teaching a different lesson to every individual that they're relating to because they're looking at that. And it's the difference between like being taught out of a textbook, Mm -hmm. this like sheer, overwhelming volume of information that's like totally foreign to you and and Mm -hmm. it needs to be like mastered you know like I I remember I was was talking about like that like magic Armando touch I was like teaching this class one time and like really struggling I wasn't connecting for whatever reason I was like trying to figure out how to make it better and everything I was doing was making it worse so I went to Armando and I asked for advice about this problem that I was seeing in the class and he thought about it and his advice to me was um you know, uh, uh, let your where give you a who. Okay, you know, bye. And that was it. And uh, that like clarified everything. And yeah. like, and the whole thing was like, I'm over explaining everything to everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying so hard to like get everybody on exactly the same page mm-hmm. and keep them moving along that I'm completely missing that one basic simple thing of like shut up and get out of the way and let them have their experience. That's what he's so good at is like, he lets you have your own experience and then you get really good really quickly. Yeah. 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 And like, what a cool, I mean, especially like as an improv teacher, like in New York city, what an interesting uh, situation to be in because you're getting so many different backgrounds um, from so many different places. Like uh, people, like you're, the age range and like the, the, the states and the cities that these people are from, it's all different. The reasons why they're doing it is also different. Like, and you're kind of communicating this concept to all of these different people that are all going to learn it in different ways. And like, how do you present it as something that everybody will kind of get in their own way? And that's, that can be tricky. What brought you to improv? How'd you start doing it? Um, I hated the idea of improv. I hated it so much and it stemmed from when I was a kid I was a part of like a theater like a homeschool theater group and I remember my first audition for this for a play I was eight years old and the director like we did some scenes and I felt kind of good about it and then the director had us do like an improv scene where we were me and this his name was Michael and we were on a carousel and the scene was just us on a carousel. She gave us a location and I just froze and I didn't know what to say and I didn't know what to do and I felt so embarrassed. And it was one of the, one of the worst moments of my life. I've, I, I just remember being so embarrassed. And from that point, I, I did a lot of theater and I never was going to do improv ever. And I had friends in college who were very funny and 
and really great and who were kind of starting an improv team and they were like, you know, do this with us, this will be fun. And I just like refused and I never ever wanted to do anything like that. And then I moved to New York and I just kind of moved, I moved here to move here to like find myself a little bit and like figure out what I wanted to do for a career. And I thought, because I, I had kind of gotten away from theater a little bit, I was like, I'm, well, I'm not sure if I really want to pursue this like heavily, um, but I'm going to figure, I need to figure something out. And I realized I wanted to start from the bottom up. I wanted to start with everything in life that I just refused to try because I just knew that I was going to be terrible at it and it was going to be embarrassing and a terrible choice. So I started with improv and yoga because I I hated the idea of yoga too. I thought that it was like a really lame way to work out and it was just a bunch of stretching and breathing and I was like, this is the stupidest thing in the world. So around the same time in the spring, I signed up for level one with Mark Grenier and um, I started going to yoga to the people. And it was almost like, it was like the same day I took the classes back to back and I was in yoga and I was like, oh, this is actually really challenging. Like, I kind of love this. And I left the class being like, that was actually kind of great. And then I went to Mark's class and it was, it was terrifying. And I was, I didn't know what to say and I was not funny and I, I, I was trying too hard and I was like really nervous. But even after that, I had the same kind of feeling of, oh, that was a little different than I expected. And it was really challenged, like even more challenging than I thought. Let me, let me see where this is going to take me. And I did my, my level one class show and it was really fun. And I was still really terrified and I wasn't sure if I was going to take level two. And I was like, oh, what, what the hell? I'll just, let's just like see where this goes. And I took level two with Russ, which was a great class. And I remember sitting in my level two class show and I was like in the first group and I, I like did I was so nervous because like my friends were in the audience and I did it and I was not bad and it was funny and I felt connected and like like supportive and like I was listening and then I was sitting and I was watching the second half of the group of our level two like do their thing and I remember they were so funny and I just I had this feeling of like oh I'm so glad they're so funny too and they're having such a good time too and it dawned on me that all of my theater training, like in classes and college and when I was a kid, that you didn't really feel that way. Like if somebody was doing really well, your first thought was, okay, well, I need to step up mm-hmm. my aim. And like, okay, well, this isn't good news for me because I probably am not going to look as good because now they're looking good. But I just had this overwhelming sense of, yes, like we're all doing great. And then I, I was like, oh, oh, that's a, that's a great feeling. I've never been in a performance uh, uh, atmosphere where like the support of other people meant that you were doing well as well mm-hmm. and at that moment I was like oh okay I'm just going to do this forever because this is really important like the idea of making other people look good so that you also look good and then everybody looks and feels good that's really important and I don't know where it's going to take me but I need to keep doing that it's a really good point you're happy when you see other people being great. Yeah. It makes you feel like a million bucks. Yeah. Do you remember the scene that you clicked in for the first time? Uh, yeah, in my, just a scene in, like in class or like in the class show. Uh, whichever. Like, you, is, is there one that was for you was like the kind of like solid, like, oh, I can, my feet are in this. I, yeah. can, I, can, I can live here. Yeah, I think it was in my level two class show because that was the first time my friends were watching me do it and and so I was I felt very vulnerable and I really nervous and I I did a scene I can't remember who the girl was in my class who I did a scene with I know Allie Kornfeld was in that class but I I don't think it was her but I was doing a scene where like I was like a daughter and the and the woman was playing a mother and I had like gotten pregnant or something but the way that the scene played out it wasn't jokey about how the, this younger woman is pregnant. Like, there was no jokes about that because, like, that's kind of, like, that would be silly and e- too, like, easy, I guess. Um, but it, the scene was really enjoyable and funny because of, like, how the mother and the daughter were reacting to each other. And at one point, like, I started eating peanut butter out of a jar, and that got a big laugh because of, like, the object work. But I didn't even, like, think about it. I just was like, I want to eat this peanut butter. And in that moment, I was like, oh, I can do anything as as long as... Like, I'm in this scene with this person. Like, I can do anything, and as long as I'm being as authentic as I can be, this is going to be okay. It's going to be okay. 
And that was just like the biggest relief. Um, and I never thought I would feel that way because I just kept thinking about when I was eight years old and I had a terrible scene and that stayed with me for almost 20 years. Like that fear stayed with me for 20 years. And then in that moment, it kind of like, I just like let it all go. And it makes me think of like, what are the things that I'm terrified of that if I would just try it, then I could let go of that fear too. Louisa K. Uh, had, had, you know, had, had famously has his thing where he'll, he'll spend a year building up his hour of material and then do it at a concert and then we'll never do that material again. And he has to start all over again from scratch. Um, because he feels that that keeps him mentally with it. He has to relearn an act every single time. And, and you know, it was like in the middle of doing that, that he kind of peaked and became Louis CK, like, uh, uh, you know, everybody's like inspiration or whatever. Mm -hmm. There's something, really um inspiring about that resolution that you had with yoga and improv to start from the ground up again yeah there i i don't know if you get this i like i i'm the kind of person where um i need a pretty fair amount of time by myself Mm -hmm. and actually uh like facebook and and shit has like really ruined that for me now (laughs) because like you just end up like falling down the wormhole yeah but like there's like a, it, it, it's not a voice. It's just this thing where you're by yourself and, and uh, uh, something deeper than you're just like the shallow conscious reasoning mind mm-hmm. uh, um, has a thought or like reframes things for you in a mm-hmm. way or, or just kind of like gives like a do this, mm-hmm. you know, like, but you got to like listen because it's, it, it's kind of like, it's a very, very quiet thing and you got to yeah. be like receptive to it and be yeah. in the right place for it. But there's like something about that voice that like periodically will kind of like guide me to do stuff that ends up being very worthwhile or, or mm-hmm. lets me like see my way through a problem that I'm having or like cut through my own like mental bullshit and whatnot. Yeah. And, and, and following, I don't know if you have that same thing, but following that impulse of, of just kind of like instinctively knowing that you got to kind of smash up what you already know and, mm-hmm. and be a beginner again at something. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I, there's something I find very empower, empowering about that wisdom being there. Yeah. Cause, cause really it comes down to you listening to yourself, yeah. right? Cutting through all of that, the mental layers and, and the outside influences to like really listen to like what it is that your soul is telling your brain to do. And I think for the most part, it is like directing us into a place that, we should go and that's going to be like the best for us but it yeah it comes down to just like really really listening and that takes work i think why do you think um uh so many people are uh turned on by doing something that has no future whatsoever (laughs) oh my god that is such a good question um being drawn to things like that myself um I don't know maybe fear of the unknown can be kind of addicting um maybe like it just it taps into a part of yourself where you're not it's like we all have like this survival instinct to like you know make a certain amount of money so that we can have a roof over our head and like eat food and like, and, and be a person that's alive and not, not alive. Um, but then there's also this part of ourselves that wants to like connect to like the, the ether, the creative ether that is like humanity and, and art and humor. And like, we, we really want to connect to that. And I think so many people focus on like that first to go back to yoga, that, that, that first chakra kind of mentality of like, I need to have a career and, and spend all my time building up this career. So I have a 401k. So like, I'll be set for the future. And that definitely satisfies a part of you. But I think once you tap into, to those things, improv and, and yoga and running really long distances, just so that you can, you know, that you can run really long distances, which is also something that I love. Um, once you tap into, to those things that don't necessarily have like a future like built into it like you never know where you're going to go with it I think like there's just something like really deep in you that gets really tickled by that and is like really 
satisfied and you feel really good not just about yourself but about like other people like when I'm running a race like a half marathon or something and I and I'm at like mile 10 and I'm looking around and I'm like oh everybody's do like we're all doing this for like for whatever reason we're just doing it we're out here on a Sunday morning at 8 a.m like running a really long distance just because we can and because it's a good thing to do like we're in this improv class like listening to each other and making each other laugh because it's a really good thing to do like I was when I saw the documentary Man on Wire I got like I I just got got so emotional because I was like this man just like rigged up this this rope and walked across two towers because it was a really good thing to do like he wasn't necessarily getting paid for it at the time I don't know maybe he was I I don't know but to me it just seemed like what a really cool thing to really dedicate a lot of time and energy to something just because it's good and and you can man on wire was amazing wasn't it right <laughs> yeah i it, that's a pretty amazing way of looking at it and uh, like also i don't know i i like that perspective too of like i don't even know why we're all doing we're doing because we can yeah that something about like exercising your health while you have your health yeah using the powers that are available to you even if it's for something that has no exact purpose to it other than the execution of those powers Mm -hmm. kind of collectively with everybody there's something Mm -hmm. about i guess it goes back to experience right that you're experiencing yourself as vital and healthy and Uh and able you know what I mean like you're pushing you're pushing your mind because it it is also stuff like that is very mental too you're pushing your mind and your body to places you aren't you're not really sure if it can go and then when you do go to those places you feel good about it but then you also want to go farther I think like the concept of like we're all in this together and we we're all doing good but we also can do better Mm -hmm. um I think, I think since I've been doing improv and yoga and running and living in New York, that's also something that, it's a concept that like I feel very strongly in my peers and now in myself that I'm very proud of is that we can constantly be doing better. Um, like we practice improv and we practice yoga and we do these things that are good for the world because they're good, but also we can be better at them. Like we can make the world a better place and be better for it if we work harder and do more and work harder and like that can be kind of unhealthy if you get obsessed about it. But I think for the most part, like that's kind of a really amazing attitude to have and it makes me feel pretty good. Yoga is just stretching, you know, <laughs> I know I'm going to piss off a bunch of people by saying that <laughs> I had, uh, um, uh, I've been doing yoga for a couple of years yeah. and, uh, I'm like pretty nutty about it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it like it was starting to get a little bit unhealthy actually like mm-hmm. i was developing like a little bit of like an eating disorder around mm-hmm. it and 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 uh, had my first taste of body dysmorphia yeah very mild but like suddenly like having that experience of like not seeing my own body accurately in a mirror you uh-huh. know it was like very interesting i bruised a rib recently and it took me out of uh yoga for like two or three weeks. Mm-hmm. It's the longest I've gone without doing it since I started doing it. Long time. Best thing to happen to me. Yeah. Because, uh, uh, A, I got back into it and after like a brief 30-minute warm-up period, I was I was flexible and limber mm-hmm. and able to do it. And B, having been removed from it, uh, uh, took away some of the scariness of like, okay, if I'm not constantly running uphill, mm-hmm. I'm immediately going to fall downhill. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, like in my mind, it became this thing of if I'm not doing yoga every single day, I'm going to put on 40 pounds Friday. Yeah. And all my joints are going to stiffen and I'll, uh, I'm going to have to start at the very beginning again. And, and and there is like a little bit of like a mystique thing that comes into it because you hang out with people who get very into yoga and then mm-hmm. they begin absorbing all of the all of the mythology around it and whatnot and mm-hmm. and not that there isn't a place for that stuff and it, you know but it was very very healthy for me to take a chunk of time off and then come back in and realize oh, this is very accurate stretching yeah it's very good stretching that keeps me. <laughs> locked into a, a, a pretty good awareness of what my body's doing and mm-hmm. where the different parts of my body are and whatnot mm-hmm. without making it a, another form of, uh, of, um, 
more sophisticated Catholic guilt appearing yeah. at you in the form of Hindu guilt. <laughs> Hindu guilt, yeah. Uh, well, Which I don't think is a thing. No, yeah, it's but. not. But be, <laughs> but, what an interesting thing to say. Um, yeah, well, it gets to a point where if you, if you really love something, and it's the same with yoga and improv and running, like, and you do it, you want to get better at it, and you're doing it every day, and then you start to look your, at yourself in the mirror, and you're like, well, why doesn't my body look more different than it should? I'm working so hard. Mm-hmm. Why am I not funnier or better in my shows than I am? I'm practicing every night. Like, I'm on 18s. Why is this not happening for me? And then that judgment just, like, makes you fall down a well of, like, yeah, guilt that you're not better and um, that you don't look a certain way. Uh and you have to you have to take a step back when that happens because when you do take a step back and you really like you relax a little bit take a few days off from from doing yoga take you know maybe stop being on one of those teams and like have a couple nights to yourself then when you come back to it with fresh eyes and with a fresh body it's you feel a little proud of what you still can do, mm-hmm. even though you're not doing it every day and you've taken like two or three weeks off. You're still proud of like the way that you look and the way that your body functions. And you realize, oh, I'm, I'm very healthy. Um, I am, I'm pretty good at this. I mean, I don't know if I believe in being good at yoga, but I, I do feel a- adequate at this. And it's fun. And it's just, it's really fucking fun. Like, especially with improv, when you do it so much and you really want to get good at it, you start to lose the concept that it's a really joyful experience. And when you're not experiencing the joy, when you're working too hard and too many hours at it, you're not going to feel good about it and you're not going to be funny and you're not going to be fun to play with and, and fun to watch. So... Taking a step, I, I I took a step back from Megawatt this season, and it kind of like pains me because I I loved it so much and I, I love being a part of a house team and and kind of like the camaraderie that you have. But I was doing so much that it, it, I was doing a show like every other every other night, and I was getting to that point where I I had one show that was like not very good, and I was like, why was I not better? Mm-hmm. Why was I not? how did I not save that that one scene or or why was I not stepping out or what's wrong with me and then I realized that I I was like whoa Christina you uh you're being exactly what you were afraid that you would become which is like super hard on yourself for no reason and taking kind of the joy out of it for yourself and so I purposely took a step back because of that and I I feel pretty great about it like now when I do shows and like they're not amazing or you know I'm not like the funniest person on stage it's it's not something I'm going to go home and think about um for the the next week until I can prove to everyone and myself again that I I am really good at this and it's also like I can kind of have fun with it again you know like it's it's kind of new like when things are new you can have fun with it you can experiment a little bit and maybe like break the form a little bit and and just be your weird self. And kind of start from the ground up again, too. Yeah. Yeah. And in your time away from Megawatt, then, you joined Stockton? I did, yeah. Oh, Stockton. They're great. Are you a writer, actor, or, or strictly I'm just, an actor? I'm just an actor. Um, how, how is that? That's a new, that's a new thing here. How's yeah, that going? It's so great. Um, uh, yeah, it's kind of it feels low commitment I mean I I go to all the meetings anyway just to like put in my two cents and and to do like readings like um but it like they from day one like they were writing for me and and the writers especially like or not especially but specifically on my team like this is the only sketch experience that I've had so far but um like every week they've written something new for me and it's really exciting and they work so hard like I I don't feel like I work very hard because I'm the only person on my team that is not a writer, but like they're writing like two sketches a week and like doing rewrites and like learning lines and like everyone has such a great attitude about it. And we're at all the rehearsals and like they're so dedicated and like they buy props and costumes like out of like their own with their own money and all to like make this show each and every show like really good, like as good as it can be. And um, sometimes I feel bad that like I'm not, I don't have to spend as much time like writing or anything, but. Um, but it's it's been a really fun experience. Yeah, it's really good. Uh, um, 
are you like inclined to start writing just by exposure yeah. to hanging out with everybody? A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I've never, I took that sketch level one. I took sketch two and I never felt like I was very, this goes back to like me feeling like I'm just not good at things like that. I didn't feel very good at it, but now like, like I'll be able to like pitch my ideas of like characters that I want to do. And it makes, and they're, they've been so good about writing really, really well for my ideas, but it makes definitely, I have this feeling inside of me like, Oh, what if I, you know, what, how would this sketch have been different? Like if I had kind of like written it, um, and it definitely kind of has sparked like a creativity in me because like they're the writers that I'm around, like the writers on Stockton are so good and they're so interesting and like unique to like their own voices. I'm now I'm trying to trying to like figure out like what my voice would be. So Mm -hmm. I might start doing a little bit of that. That's how I like learning new things is it never works for me if it's a thing of like, Oh, I have to do that too. I have to keep myself competitive with everybody. I, I just don't operate well that way. Yeah. But uh, um, when I see other people who make me feel accountable for my kind of lack of honesty with myself, mm-hmm. that that to me is like the stirring motivation. If yeah. I catch myself being dishonest, yeah, that's kind of that's the thing that makes me then like dig my heels in and have to work and try something new. Yeah, yeah, because if you're and again it goes back to like listening to yourself. Like we all have our own specific voice, and um, and I think like seeing that like and all, all the sketch teams are really good like I've been really blown away by like how just like the talent is like through the roof in this program but you see like the through the writers like their own like perspective on the world and like their own way of, of making jokes and like making things funny and you know it makes you realize like just keep reminding yourself like don't like don't just write things don't just do improv scenes that you think people are going to think are funny because you've seen it in the world like start from start from like your deepest personal self and kind of like work outwards don't work outwards to inwards but inwards to outwards right yeah that's been on my mind a lot recently don't write what you think is going to be funny yeah write what you think yes which can be very difficult when uh, you're not feeding yourself with anything to think about because you're not going out there to parties to talk to people <laughs> to experience the anxiety that happens when you have to have a point of view on stuff. <laughs> you know what I think about yoga? Mm-hmm. I don't think that you can be good at yoga, mm-hmm. but you can be bad at it. <laughs> How can you be bad at yoga? Oh, you've seen people who are bad at yoga. You know, you I have the answer no, to that question. No, you know what? I don't think I agree with you. I think, <laughs> I think anybody who's in that room and who is paying attention to their breathing and is putting their body out there is good. Like as long as you're in the room, you're good. I mean, if you're like, you know, laughing or making fun of it or being like a weird person, like if then, you're a yoga troll, yeah. <laughs> If you're trolling a yoga studio, then yes, you're bad at yoga. I would admire that person so much because that would take such enormous commitment and you'd have to go so far out of your way to go to a yoga class to troll the class. Yeah. But I would kind of appreciate it. spend a lot of money because some yoga classes aren't cheap. Do you know who I hate, Christina? I hate the guy in the class who whenever you get into like a pigeon pose or something and he goes... I hate that person. And in, I think in my I'm that mind, <laughs> well, you're bad at yoga. <laughs> Maybe I am. Maybe I am. Maybe my darkest fears are all true. No, no, no. I'm sure you know. In closing, is there any dirty, nasty gossip you'd like to spread oh, about geez. anybody? Oh no. I hope not. I hope I have I said anything about anyone bad. <laughs> I, I don't know. I've been like blacked out for an hour. You had some shit things to say about Stockton. Oh no. Sorry oh, guys. Sorry. Right. Oh, I get an email off the team. <laughs> <laughs> no. Ladies and gentlemen, Christina Dabney, thank you for talking. This has oh, been thank a, you. a delightful conversation. Thank you. Uh, and thank everybody for listening. This has been the Magnet Theater Podcast. Thank you to our producer, Evan Ford Barden, our engineer, Grant Michael Goldberg, our executive producer, Ed Herbstman, all the way from fabulous 
New York City here in the great state of New York, the Empire State. Uh, <laughs> uh, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please go on, on uh, what is it, iTunes, and uh, give us a rating. A positive shout-out yeah. is awful pleasant. Uh, uh, thank you once again to Christina Dabney. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, everyone. Bye, bye, bye. Bye, bye. have a great night. You've been listening to The Magnet Podcast. This podcast has been brought to you by the Magnet Training Center, where we teach classes in improvisation, sketch writing, musical improv, storytelling, and more. If you're interested in checking us out, we offer free weekly intro to improv classes. You can find out more about those free intro classes and all other classes we offer at magnettheater.com. Our podcast is available on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please head over to iTunes and give us a positive rating. We appreciate the support. Also, be sure to check out the Magnet Theater for top-notch comedy shows seven nights a week. All information regarding classes and shows can be found at magnettheater.com.